I want to welcome everyone to another episode of the Disruptive Voices of the Pacific. I believe this is episode 69. I can't believe it. We've been going for a little over a year and we have been using this podcast to uh, share stories, to disrupt the um, culture of silence and shame, particularly when it comes to those issues around abuse, pornography, uh, just things that are affecting um, culture across the Pacific. Also, we love to use this platform to let you know about people who are doing really good initiatives because we don't just want to be about the problems, but we want to talk about the solutions. And um, I am uncovering just uh, just so many amazing people, particularly over here in Fiji, who are looking at the problems and attacking them with creative solutions. And today I have with me Paul Morell. Did I pronounce that correct, Paul? Yes, correct. Thank you. Correct. We only met yesterday, uh, but he is part of an initiative called the Men's Empowerment Network, and I'm particularly interested in that because, as you know, this year I have released a book, The Disruptive Voices of the Pacific, and we talk a lot about the issues of abuse around women, but men are abused too. There are many um just many problems that men are facing in this day and age. And I love it when I come across men who are addressing these issues. And Paul is one of those men. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yes. Um, just tell us a little bit about um, you. You're married with how many children? Uh, I'm married with uh, eight children. Um, and uh, my background is I'm an educator or teacher. And um, yeah, so I live out here in Deumba. And um, uh, my wife and I, we run a small Christian school in Deumba. Yeah. Mm. I don't know how you have time in the middle of eight children, four boys and four girls as well. So well done. Um, you're, you're doing great there. Before we get on to the Men's Empowerment Network, let's discuss a little bit about your life growing up and some of the issues that you've faced as a young boy and a man um, because quite often we end up doing what we're doing because of what we've been through ourselves. But what was life like for you as a young boy growing up in Fiji? Um, yeah, I know um, life in uh, Fiji, for me growing up was, um, I was a, I am a single child, uh, only child, um, more like, and um, uh, brought up in a family uh, with mom and dad, and also went to school in primary with a co-ed school, and um, went to secondary in an all-boys school. So um, growing up and uh, looking at um uh, different uh, role models was something that uh, was a bit uh, challenging for me. Uh, to be truthful, my the person that I looked up to as someone who was always motivating me and my role model was my mom and is my mom when I was growing up and um, how she um, put things together, put our family together, struggled uh, together. Um, we grew up basically in a just a single bedroom one bedroom uh, in the city and um, had a lot of uh, struggles throughout the way and uh, um, also grew up in areas where uh, renowned in Fiji for um, for what shall I say crime uh, but those areas I'm uh, thankful that today is, is changing it's transforming 
and um, and uh, when I grew up uh, in a religious atmosphere, went to mass every Sunday, and uh, as I got into secondary school, you know, when uh, for me my my image of a person, um, a good man, is someone who's strong and tough, because that was what was portrayed to me. Um, I was also blessed because my uncles, they were, they did not uh, portray this. They were uh, also had a lot of, um, they showed the other side of being a male. Eh? So they would always treat us with love um, in the words that they say in their actions. Then when I went into secondary school in an all boys school, um, opening up means uh, for us as men, opening up is like, uh, um, for us, it's like you are giving up eh, when you open up to others. So jokes and fun and uh, spoiling one another, we call it here in Fiji, joking and laughing about one another. That's what I grew up with. Eh? Yeah. Until, yeah. So basically, the, my school life and my life was surrounded by that type of atmosphere. Eh? Uh, I had, um, uh, with my dad and mom, we had a relationship. My dad went through a lot of issues and the family felt it. Um, so it was challenging because uh, his issues became our issues. So seven days a week, um, I could remember for seven days in a week, it would be maybe six days of um, arguments, arguments at home and all of this, not, not physical, but just um, arguments and emotional uh, stress in, in, within the family. Yeah? And I'm, uh, it's only by the grace of God that I managed to come out without, uh, in, in, that, in that type of emotional um, trauma or atmosphere that uh, I was brought up in. So that's why one of the reasons when I went into secondary school, mom and I decided, okay, I go, I go into the hostel, to go into hostel life in the old boys school, because it would take me out of the, the environment. Seven days a week, uh, uh, Leticia, it would be six days, you know, just uh, uh, depression, arguments. Um, it's usually my dad's depressive uh, attitude, and um, he didn't know how to take it out. Well, he would mostly just take it out on my mom, and uh, I would be watching this when I was growing up. Eh? Mm. Yeah. How did that um, shape you and affect you as a young man getting married and um, beginning that relationship? Yeah, um, as as a young man, and when I stepped into my into a relationship, you know, I with my with my wife, I brought this baggage into into our relationship. You know, um, what I saw was done. I brought it into our relationship. I was blessed because my mom was always that cushioning factor when I was young growing up. So she would always cushion cushion uh, the, the the arguments and you know I would ask how what's happening and she said no no it's just something small so she would try to cushion it for me and so when I went into a relationship uh, and then I got uh, when I got married one of the the things that I I guess I brought into my marriage was all this what I've been was seen as a young boy and I did not share it to anybody because for us uh, like I said eh, Sharing was not something, my wife used to say that I was like Robocop, eh? <laughs> always just, you know, serious, you know. Um, so I could not open up to her uh, in, the, in our initial stages. So most of the times it would be arguments. And because I saw and I thought that, you know, 
we as men, we should be the dominant one. We should be the one who who runs everything in the family. And uh, I guess I brought that baggage into my uh, married life in the first few uh, years of our married life. I, I brought that hurt and that baggage along and it, and it did not did not uh, do well for my marriage. And I'm so thankful that my wife was uh, resilient uh, to put up with that fool <laughs> a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to meeting her. You'd also mentioned to me a little bit yesterday um, your struggle with pornography, which is, uh, again, another big issue that uh, most men and many women would struggle with. Where did you first encounter pornography and how did that impact you as a young man? Yeah, pornography, uh, again, in an all-boys school, that's something that, um, that's something as norm, eh? norm in, in an all-boys school. Um, so I was introduced to that at, at an all-boys school and, uh, you know, we, we use it as a joke and fun. And um, what happened was it became something that, uh, uh, something that you would perceive as cool. And those days you have uh, Playboy magazines and um, they, they bring that to school and pass it around the classroom while the teacher's teaching, you're watching the, those books under the desks and all that. So that is something that, uh, that uh, what I would say corrupted my perception of a woman. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would see girls and women, you know, we'd see them as objects of our own satisfaction. And that's what uh, happened to me in the first few years uh, even of our married life. Eh? So I was, I was somewhat, you know, to tell you the truth, I didn't know how to get out of it. And it was only by the grace of God that I was able to uh, come away from uh, um, pornography, eh? to, for the addiction to pornography. And when it's introduced, it comes to a stage where you think, you know, well, you, you kind of normalize it in your mind. It's normal. Uh, this is what boys are supposed to do. This is what men are supposed to do. Because sex education for us, there's no such thing as sex education. The more girls that you, uh, the perception is this, the more girls that you have or sleep with, that's the, the greater man you are. Eh? And um, yeah, and that, that was the perception uh, uh, among our circles at that time. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not, um, doesn't go well for making healthy men. Um, and then when you became married, was it impacting your married life? Because a lot of people would argue that maybe a bit of pornography when you're married helps to empower the relationship. Was that true? Um, yeah, you know, one, uh, it, it did impact my married life, you know, because, um, because I had perceived, uh, you know, sex had become perverted in, in my mind. Eh? And um, again, um, it was something that uh, I looked at as something that it should bring pleasure. And it is only until, uh, not, not pleasure in a good way, but, you know, pleasure for me alone. Eh? It's not two ways. And until I uh, fully understood that it is a gift from God and um, it should be a gift that we give to each other as a couple, then I finally realized what... Uh, um, what sex is and uh, how it should be perceived in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Thank goodness you have uh, found freedom from that. So 
we've, we'll fast forward quite a few years and, and let us, um, how did you actually begin? What was the impetus that got you thinking, I've got to help men, we need to start a network for men in Fiji? Yeah, um, it all started in uh, a couple of years ago in uh, our our prayer group, and um, you know, as I was getting, um, one of the factors that started to change my attitude towards this was listening um, to podcasts of um, motivational speakers. I started out with motivational speakers such as Miles Monroe. I listened to him and his perception of men, and that that kind of challenged my mindset or um, like your, your book says, disrupt, eh? disrupt my uh, mindset. And uh, when it disrupted my mindset, then I looked within our community and I, me and uh, Ili, my wife, we sat down and we saw the great need there is for uh, good leadership, especially amongst men, because what we found was that men were afraid of leading, especially at the church level. And uh, they were always stepping back. And what we saw, the weak leadership, and it fell back onto the families where uh, the children were let to go and play during the night. You know, in, in our communities, we see the children everywhere. We see the men um, heavily engrossed in cover drinking. And so we sat down one day and we talked about it. And we said, look, let's let's start something, an NGO. And um, well, you didn't basically think of an NGO, but you know, when I brought the idea to her, and I said, just to help men, help men better their lives, you know? And, um, and she said, yeah, let's go for it. You know, let's, let's, let's do something uh, that can help men. And we started out the, the, with the acronym MEN, Men Empowerment Network. And from there, we started to teach men, empower men skills in how they can uh, equip themselves to become better sons, better husbands, uh, better brothers, you know, better fathers. And I used my life experience because many of the things that I'm sharing with these men that I talk to and I mentor and the boys in, in schools and girls that I speak to, it's based from not something that I read in a book, but something that I've lived through. And I've lived through the, the struggles that, uh, and actually I'm living, still living through it. Eh? I don't believe that I'm, I'm tr fully transformed. I'm fully the person I want to be but I know that I'm not the person that I was. So that's basically how we saw. It started just from our community and then we expanded, we got our NGO registered and then we started reaching out, reaching out. And we saw that the issues that I went through and that couples go through and that men go through, it's all very, uh, it's all the same or similar regardless of ethnicity. We've had yeah. Muslims, Indians, Fijians coming to us. It's regardless of ethnicity, it cuts through, um, cuts through all cultures and uh, and uh, and ethnicity yeah? and religions. Yeah. What would you say? Uh, you know, the top three big issues that um, men in Fiji are dealing with. One of the okay, the top three. One of the issue is this uncertainty. Um, I, I know that. Um, this is something that we have found out, this uncertain uh, attitude where, 
you are always reliant on somebody above you to make a decision for you. Um, you can we have men who come to our workshop who are uncertain or they're very reliant on somebody. They're 30 year old, sometimes 35 year old, and staying at home with their parents. And they wake up in the morning and mom and dad has to tell them what to do. You know, they expect that. Um, mom sends you to the shop. Uh, mom tells you, okay, after that, you go, you come and you clean the driveway. And there's no sense of, so one of the, one of the top three, one of them would be having no, an, an uncertain um, uh, goal. You know, first of all, not knowing who you are and whose you are or mm. whom you belong to, you know, and I, 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 I've seen that in these young men, they are just floating. And when you marry somebody who's just floating, who doesn't know where they're going, imagine the relationship that you'll have. It, it'll be really toxic because the man himself doesn't know his goal. And then now he's got another person to look after and then some other small children to look after. And that just takes your family down a spiral road. Right? So one of the things is that this uncertainty, there's this mm. like this, um, no goals, you know, um, and they don't know it, that, uh, mm-hmm. that they are going through this, but uh, you can see that laid back attitude, that laid back attitude, you tell me what to do and I will do it. The second uh, thing I would say is, that we, uh, as men, we tend to um, have this, uh, this stereotype image of how a man should behave. And there is no um, clear initiation stage, you know, uh, when you become a man. When do you really become a man? And you say puberty, but there's no initiation stage, even in the Fijian culture. There's no clear uh, line that says that you have become a man. And because there's no clear line, we have men who are 30, 40 year old. We have 40 year old men who are actually 16 year old, 15 year old boys in a 40 year old body. And that's that, and that that there's no clear demarcation between uh, going from boyhood into manhood, and then you don't have that proper um, uh, role model or that proper figure. There's lack of role models in Fiji. Our role model uh, for us are rugby players, uh, you know, these kind of tough guys, and and they're wonderful. They're wonderful role models. But the only thing is. Uh, many of the role models that we have in Fiji are public figures. Mm. And public figures leave, uh, most of them, majority of them, have an immoral private life. Publicly, they look really good. But majority of them in private, and we know this because we, we follow them also, there's a lot of issues that they have themselves. So we are looking for uh, men need this type of role models. They need, when we went out to the villages, the man was saying, oh, um, that awareness is not for us. It's only for men with problems, you know? Uh, and, uh, and I guess the, the other issue, the other third one would be um, not using that power, that, that power 
that men have in the way that it is supposed to be used. Eh? Um, we challenge culture, but I believe that uh, men have corrupted culture and used it for their own benefit. We challenge, we blame religion, but men have corrupted religion and uh, the verses, Bible verses, and made it their own for their own benefit. So it's it's that 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 not using the power that we have, our strength as men, we are designed to protect, but we use that to hurt our loved ones. You know, so not using that power correctly. Um, that's why we we call ourselves a man empowerment. You have the power. Now we'll teach you how to use that power to benefit not only yourself but benefit those around you, especially your wives and your and your children and your loved ones. Yeah. And so, what from your point of view as a um, as a Christian man, what does it mean to have power in your family? Because um, just describe that from a kingdom point of view. Yeah, you know, uh, from a kingdom point of view, uh, one of the um, one of the uh, mindsets, and I love your book because it says disrupt, disruptive. Eh? So you need to disrupt the mindset. And for us, uh, we were calling it a couple of years ago, shifting that mindset. Eh? Uh, disruptive is a beautiful term because many of us, our mindset of uh, of what a man should be is a man should give orders. In their home you do this you do that you do this you know I, you listen to me and i'll give you this and you do that so what we try to do is we try to shift the mindset where the man sees himself he, he is not only uh responsible he's also answerable because that is one aspect that most fathers and men don't really realize that we will be answerable for our families as the so-called heads of the family yeah? we are responsible and um, as heads of uh, of the family i my my wife and and myself it's not a clash you know the world tells us it's a competition actually it's, we complement each other and that's the shift, mind shift that we have to put you know we complement each other for us when we talk about gender equality we don't look. We, we, we don't. We don't really. Um, what you call this? Talk about gender equality. We talk about equal opportunities for gender, because we, in God's kingdom, believe that everybody runs their race according to God's plan. You as the wife, you run your the lane as a wife. You as a man, you run your your lane as a man. And you as children, you run your lane as as children. And everybody runs their lane. I do my job and my role as a man. I look after my family. I'm respectful to my wife. You know, leader. The wife does her own role, and the children do their role. Everybody plays their role. What we have uh, put out into the society is that um, the, the the woman has to try to be equal to men. Mm. And for me, woman, you are more powerful than men, actually. You know, and you don't need to be equal to men. In fact, in, in, in actuality, women have more, more power than men, uh, not physically, but I'm saying, uh, well, not most physically, but they need to realize that. The women need to realize to be what God called them to be. And men need to be what God called them to be. And when we try to, to introduce this into the families, where you are not competing with each other, you are actually complementing each other. Our focus is actually the family. 
our focus is the family. And we do this through the man because we found there's a lot of broken families and the families are broken because the man is not doing his role. He's either an alcoholic, he either abuses his wife, he either has a other woman on the side and this causes the breakup of marriages and the children suffer, they continue this cycle and the trend continues. So if we can, we believe if we can repair the men, we should be able to uh, mend and repair the family. Yeah, yeah no, it's a great start. Um, let's just have a talk about the issue of grog in Fiji. We know um, <laughs> particularly the men love to sit around a carver bowl, which, you know, there's there's nothing too wrong about doing that on a surface level, but where does it become really damaging, um, this culture of drinking grog? Thank you. Uh, that's, a, that, that's a good uh, uh, um, point. Um, Yangona has been seen as um, a traditional drink, and now it has become uh, somewhat an um, addictive drink. Men, and in most cases, uh, we've spoken and mentored men who've come to us, they use kava as a means to forget about their problems. Um, they come to the kava sessions, with a lot of jokes and they're laughing and they are these ones who, who joke a lot during cover sessions and who are the most loudest one. Mostly these are the ones who, who just need to let out because they cannot do it at home. So they come to these cover sessions and they spend maybe an hour or two, no, maybe two hours minimum to about four hours an, an evening or five hours some, just an evening just sitting growing and talking about issues because for them they feel that that is their safe space for men they feel that that is their safe space and that is one of the um uh, corrupted uh mindset that we have as men i used to be like that you know i used to come home and then i would look for drug sessions on friday just to go out there and have fun and joke and all of this get all this out distress myself we call it we think we're distressing it eh? and then we come back home come back home with our and back to our families and we're tired and we're fatigued and money's been spent and then that causes other issues at home eh? so one of the things that I managed to come out is, is I challenged young men. I said, look, you know, we, we want to have cover sessions with your friends sometimes. And then and most of them, when they go for cover sessions, their wife is not very happy because they go every night and they stay out hours. And I tell them, you know, I used to be like that. And I used to think that uh, my wife was, you know, not, she was just kind of jealous of me going out and all. But then I came to realization that all women need is our time as men. They just need to talk. Um, one of the uh, words that we men fear the most is we have to talk. When we hear our wife say that, our minds start running. What did I do wrong? What did what, what, what I must have said something? Did I do something? So our wife just needs to talk. And for us, we become very defensive because that is our human nature. As men, we are defenders. So automatically, our warrior spirit comes up and says, no, what is she going to talk to me about now? You know, what is she going to say? I'm going to make an excuse up. So I used to be like that. And then I decided, okay, one day I want to sit with my wife and have a, a, a conversation with my wife, just me and my wife. And we did that. And I did that. And I thought it was going to be boring. 
because you know no friends no jokes and everything you know and but when i did that i eventually realized that uh, you know our conversations we talked about useful things about the family about the goals about uh, where we going you know and then we are at home right there with our wife and mm-hmm. that's what i challenge each man you know you coming out how about one day just at least one day you sit down with your wife and just have a conversation with her and then you to talk about it and eventually i've come now to the stage where i don't run off the grog anymore you know eventually it'll just fade away once you just do that it'll just fade away um, if there's a conversation going on and i'm required to sit i'll sit and drink and when it's time to go i'm off right? because it'll eventually fade away but that is one of the greatest challenge for a young man and it's the idea that um I can't share anything at home. I got to go out and I got to have a conversation so I'm so doped that I won't think of my issues. But when you wake up the next morning it's right there waking you up in in the morning. Yep, and uh issues that are undealt with um just become bigger issues, don't they? Well, Paul, our time is up. There is so much more I would love to talk to you about and I think we will I'll get you back on the podcast next year because I think these issues are so that we unpack um, because we want to see a, a healthy society and I love your motto better men better families better communities better nations and um, yeah when the men are doing better that um, goes a long way to helping everyone else so uh, I'm going to put a link with this podcast to your Facebook site the Men's Empowerment Network uh, people can contact you through that to find out more you do Um, stuff with couples, you do father and son camps, um, you do programs in schools. So there's a whole range of things that you and just your small team, the A-team, are working on. But I'm sure you are looking for more people to get involved. Um, and may we see men really empowered to um, build better families and communities across this nation. So thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Easily. I see your suffering, I see the pain beneath that bowl of smile, come out from hiding, the sun is rising, let the islands hear reason, let